rainbow. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to episode 23 of Beyond Nashi, the subset of podcasts we do here on the Nashi cast to focus on non-Nashi Spanish horror films. Tonight, we are bringing you a very strange episode, something we've not quite done before, but we have a returning guest to help us through this thickening thicket of weirdness and strangeness. Actually, it's not that weird and strange, but our guest returning this evening is Court Psyops. Oh, hello. I have no idea how to follow up an intro like that. I feel like I should be doing some kind of weird coffin Joe quote or something at you. <laughs> oh, well, don't worry. Uh, that we'll, do the co- we'll do more coffin Joe, but that's on the other podcast. <laughs> We're going to drop in the canned audience applause, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's, it's a necessity. Yeah. Everyone, everyone da, da, must. Da, da, da. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the only way I get applause is when we play canned applause. <laughs> And that even boos sometimes, doesn't it? (laughs) Poor Court. (laughs) Oh, what was me? (laughs) But I am Rod Barnett, and I am with... Troy Gwynn. And we'll be bringing you this uh, strange little episode that we uh, are going to entitle something other than Beyond Nashi 23, but I don't know what exactly it'll be. But the the project, the prospect, the idea, the concept is I asked my two cohorts here to come up with a list of their three favorite non-Nashi Spanish horror films. And I kind of left that sitting out there uh, as something to think about for a few weeks. And then I sat down to do my list of three and realized that three ain't enough. Uh, And luckily, I think that uh, both my uh, cohorts here... um, Found that to be a similar problem. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, because if we just did each, actually just did three, it would have been interesting. I doubt that we would end up with, with, with a full nine films because I have a feeling we're going to have some overlap, some overlap here. Yeah, and we'll see, yeah. but, uh, uh, which is fine. <laughs> but uh, who Court? knows? You never know. Maybe not. Court, yeah, I think there's going to be at least one movie that all three of us is going to be like, uh, favorite non-Nashi yeah. Spanish film? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gonna... <laughs> I know. I know. I can think of a couple that might be on there, actually. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got, I got the feeling there's going to be a little overlap. So I think... Having uh, having gone out of my way to cheat, uh, the fact that you guys are willing to cheat as well just uh, makes it uh, more likely that we'll have something more to talk about rather than just uh, a couple of specific films and then the outliers where we look at each other because we're freaks. <laughs> <sighs> but then we do that anyway. That's right. So, Court, uh, how out of uh, out of the range of three did you go? Uh, right now, I have about six written down. Um... I have two alternates in case somebody else mentions something, so I can go, oh, that was on my list, but I'm going to substitute. Good and idea. then I have, like, an honorable mention or two. So about six in total. Well, I have a, a subdivided list myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, will, uh, I, will subdiv- I, will, I will talk about the, uh, the bizarre subdivision uh, as we go along. But uh, I think, uh, think it would be fun to just go ahead and start. Court, as the guest, uh, what non-Nashy Spanish horror film is on your favorite list. What would be the one that you would choose to go in the, I was going to say number three, but I guess the number five, <laughs> number five or six position. 
Well, I'm just going to go with the one since I'm the first up that I think we all have, and that's Horror Express. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> that was an obvious one. I mean, it's one of the craziest and most bizarre horror films in general that I've ever seen. And it's it's on the top part of probably just a horror list in general for me, yeah, regardless of where it came from. It's just this really unique and interesting mix of really cool horror stuff. I mean, you have a little bit of like a, a bit of a, a reference to the original The Thing uh, mm-hmm. with yeah, the monster definitely. being on the train. Then you have the horror of everything that happens on the train. You get these like zombie like creatures that it reanimates and then it can read people's minds. So it continues to learn. It's kind of like this gorilla suited, weird primordial thing. (laughs) It's just such a strange movie. And it's also kind of a cheat because we have a guy that looks almost so looks so much like Paul Nashi for the longest time. I was convinced he was, and you're not the only person I've heard say that that (laughs) several people, uh, once they saw it, like you, and then years later became familiar who Paul Nashi was because he, because, uh, um, Help me, I signed you. Oh, the actor's name. Mendoza? Mendoza. Yeah, Alberto Mendoza. Alberto Alberto de Mendoza, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, because he looks so much like Nash. He looked in in so many of his films when he would have the facial hair. And uh, he's, you know, he's fantastic in that role, but I always always feel like, you know, I would love to have seen Nash in that role as well. Uh, There's two roles that I would would love to have seen Nash in, even though it's two actors that I'd hate to remove from the film, because, you know, I know. Rod knows my Rod. I always make Rod uncomfortable with my Telly Savalas uh, uh, obsession, <laughs> yes. and uh, so Telly yes. Savalas is so is so wonderfully, ridiculously Kojak in this film. You know, Kojak Cossack in this film. <laughs> but I would have loved to have seen Paul Nashi in that role or in the role of the of the monk. <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. given how Paul Nashi looks with a shaved head from what we've seen in Inquisition, <laughs> I actually yeah. want him to be in both roles, and I want a split screen of him playing against himself and there. Would have, and he would have loved to have done that, dude. Well, of course <laughs> yeah. he would have, yeah. <laughs> If you would have given him the opportunity, Nashi would have played every role that was, was, that say was he, meant for a man in the film. I was going to say he would play the monster, too. I'm just imagining the production nightmare, <laughs> having to set up multiple screenshots and him having to, he probably ended up directing the film too, so he's directing from inside the makeup while they're changing the makeup so that he can be the monk. No, oh God. <laughs> Never, nevertheless, of course, Horror Express is on my list as well. Yeah. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Are you telling me that at eight, that two million years ago, got onto that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there? Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us. If you dare, on the Horror Express. search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. 
malignant power of this creature is indestructible, transferring its force from mind to mind, from body to body. Beast is not dead. I put four bullets into him. You think evil can be killed with bullets? Satan leaves. The animal that you shot was only the host. It's alive in someone on this train. You saw his eyes. One look at them and you're dead. Anything that moves near that door, kill it. Run. Run for your life. Hide, but you can't escape. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the horror express. How can it not be? I mean, it's got Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee... Telly Savalas. Helga Linné. Yeah, Helga Linné. I mean, what what else do you need in this film? And of course, I think one of the the things that make it such a, a perennial favorite for anybody who's a fan of Euro horror, much less just Spanish horror in general, is the fact that it's one of those movies that for years and years and years fell through that uh, public domain crack. Mm. And therefore, there were just uh, there were a zillion ways to see this film. And I can still remember it being shown on uh, television on oh, like Saturday, Saturday or Sunday I, afternoons when I was a kid. Yeah, that's where I first saw it was on yeah. TV. And it just, you know, I saw something, oh, what this? Something with Lee and Cushing? What is this? You know, and, and, and just just being so entertained. And that, to me, the word, you know, torture description of the film when you start talking about it was fantastic, all the terms you use. But but to me, the overlying, the overriding term is entertaining. It's one of the most entertaining yeah. horror films I've, I've ever seen. It's just pure joy from from start to finish. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think there's something about it that it, it's it's one of the most rewatchable of uh, films that we'll probably talk about tonight, just because it shifts gears so oh, yeah. many times, and it has. So, I mean, yeah, of course, it has a lot of different elements, but each time it shifts gears, it, we, we've all seen movies where they they shift gears, and and you can just you can hear the freaking engine grind, you can hear the transmission about to drop out of the bottom of that fucker. But in this, it's smooth every time, and it leads, each little change dovetails into the next, dovetails into the next so effectively that by the time you get to the Telly Savalas playing a fucking Cossack part of things, you're just like, oh, to hell with it. I'm willing to go with it. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, it's the most like the old school horror comics like EC Comics and Creepy Magazine and all that kind of stuff of any movie. Even the movies that are trying to emulate it miss the mark. For that kind of stuff for EC Comics, this movie hits it perfectly, and it's not even really trying. It just has every little moment and every kind of like ironic twist that happens in the movie or the weird stuff that happens with the monster, mm-hmm. you know, where, where all of a sudden this very religious man just flips and decides he's going to start worshiping the beast and, <laughs> and stuff like that. It's all very EC Comics and like those late like late 50s, early 60s style monster comics and horror comics. It's just so perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's... And it, um... I think that it throws so much stuff at you that you just go along for the ride, no matter how inane and crazy. Like I mean, when they're, exam- oh, when, they're when they're when they're yeah. seeing when they're examining the you know the the eyeballs of the you know when they see that it's, that yeah, that it's, it's recorded yeah. Yeah. recorded everything it's seen is recorded on its <laughs> on its eyeballs. It's just it. what a great. I, mean, I it just, love it when a movie, an older movie. Will actually will actually incorporate that idea, the whole idea of you know, uh, especially the, the the famous 
uh, you know, the last image of a, of a, of a dead mm. person, the last image that they saw is somehow imprinted on their retina, yeah. which, you know, everybody knew was bullshit around 1920. Mm. And, and there'll still be, there'll still be movies, you know, up through the freaking eighties that will throw that idea in there because it's a way for them to, you know, wedge information into some characters mouths that just, yeah. there's no logical way. And they think, well, uh, people will buy this. Fuck it. Mm. I still love that too. But the, the, the thing I think the the kind of secret weapon that Horror Express has, and we haven't mentioned it yet, is the humor. I thought you guys say Victor Israel, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Victor, any Victor Israel is good. Victor Israel, right. I think yeah. he's a great character actor. But I love the fact that there's he whistles real and the monster the starts whistling like it oh, later yeah. whistles the tune that he what's yeah. it becomes, which is great. But you're right. Oh man, the, no, you're right. The humor's fantastic in this film, I and mean, it's just a, a great. It's, it's it's got the right tone. Mm. The the humor isn't it doesn't reach. It's not. Uh, it's not so arch as to be ridiculous. It fits the characters when the humor comes out. Uh, you know that that's something that I don't think got tapped enough in Peter Cushing's careers. Peter Cushing, when drawn upon to do, when called upon to do, uh, you know, a humorous line or a humorous bit of dialogue, could really deliver it. And this is a great. This movie is a great instance where he's given a couple of very funny lines, and he <laughs> plays them really well. Oh yeah. Monsters. We're British. <laughs> British. He's, he's just he's just he's just so good. But of course he's he's always good. I don't want to I don't want to come off like uh, like Derek Cook here. But Peter yeah. Cushing was a god, and let's just be honest about it. So. Yeah, and and he and Lee just I mean the chance the chance to see them together in a film where they really just get to riff off each other and just that great interplay they have and get to play on their kind of characters in a way that yeah, yeah. And that you know, that friendship gets to be something that the characters start off as rivals, but as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. They uh, they they make common cause, and that allows the two of them to actually th- that that friendship they had in real life for decades it actually gets to be up there on the screen, and that's that's something that even if the rest of this movie fell apart, that'd be something worth seeing in this. But it's just another really great element in a wonderful film. So the other thing that I really like about the movie too that I I would be remiss if I don't mention is they know that the creature is learning people's memories or absorbing their their brains because. All the wrinkles are gone because that's yeah. supposed to be where all the memories that's are stored. Awesome. That is an awesome. That's yeah. another. Their, their brains a, are yeah. smooth because he sucked out all the knowledge. <laughs> I, I know that it's like by the time this film was made, everyone by the early seventies people, they, everybody knew that was bullshit. That's just not the way the brain works. It's not it. But I love that there's like I, they're like ah, fuck it. Turn to, turn to the turn of the century. Let's do it. Let's I'm, do it. I'm surprised they didn't make some reference to the canals on Mars at, at some point. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's yeah why not why not throw yeah. in every easily yeah. disproven by by yeah. every every scientific theory disproven by 1940 let's just throw it into this fucking it's like they started the measuring everybody's head to see if they might be the monster you know might be <laughs> prone to criminal might be prone to violent behavior by measuring the size of the head you know? <laughs> and then they, they, they make them they make a mistake they find a bump but it turns out to be a wart a wart and they accidentally bludgeon this poor guy to death but oh damn it he just had a he had a he had poor skin oh that poor guy Curse your inaccuracy with phrenology. I know. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to do? You know, something else about this film, too, that really kind of makes it... It's funny that it ends up... Uh, the list, you know, when people started coming back with their list on Facebook, you know, when we threw out the quest, you know, to people out there, you know, just to throw in their favorites, too. And this was on just about everybody's list, came back. Uh, but think about what an anomaly it is among Spanish horror films in that there's really very little gore and no nudity. And uh, the fact that it's still such a beloved film, you know, yeah. because that's... Draws that draws so many people to Euro horror those aspects of it, and this film this film is much more 
hammer levels of 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 uh, blood and 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 gore and that sort of thing. And maybe not even maybe not even as much nudity as your later, and not as much nudity as your uh, Hammer films from that. By the time this film was made, were, yeah, were not, definitely that, not so. as much nudity as I would have liked. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, but once again, that's my point. Is like you know we don't we enjoy the film so much that that you 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 know you, it doesn't even become an issue that nobody's nude in it. You just you just you know you're not even like disappointed. You're just having a great time. Well, I think that's a lot of that's down to the pace of the thing. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's got such a quick pace. I mean, you rarely. I mean, you. You rarely have time to think about whatever batshit thing it's just thrown at you before yep. the next batshit thing is coming down the pike. So yeah, you know, for the longest time, I actually was convinced this was a Hammer film from the first time I saw it as a kid. I can totally see how oh, you yeah. can believe that. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I didn't know any better. I, you didn't have the internet or IMDb or anything yeah. like that. I only caught it at like a late night horror host thing when I was a kid, and it blew my mind. And I was like, that is the coolest Hammer film I have ever seen. <laughs> Fast forward to like several decades <laughs> later, and I'm like, "Holy shit, this is a Spanish horror film!" I thought for sure because I was looking at a uh, you know list of Hammer films. I'm like, "Where's Horror Express?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay, you know? okay. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us on onto uh, my first, hopefully not of many side roads here. This is something I may have to edit out. But Court, just off the top of your head, uh, what is your favorite Hammer film? I <laughs> uh, really love uh, Devil's Bride, aka Devil Rides Out. That's probably Enjoys. my favorite of all Enjoys. time. Love Fantastic it. choice. Uh, I always default to uh, Quatermass in the Pit. And see, mine is Vampire Circus. Ooh. See, Devil's Bride was kind of the first one I ever saw out of that I knowingly knew I was watching a Hammer film. I had seen some of the Draculas and the Frankenstein's as a mm-hmm. real young kid, but there was a time when I was, I think I was turning twelve. Um, and I'm, my birthday's in the summer, so you know I had school off, and I was waiting for my parents to be able to get home so I could actually celebrate my birthday. And this was back when Encore first came out. Like it was just like this new channel, and they were playing all these old movies. Yeah. And they did a Hammer marathon on my birthday, and the first thing they played was Devil's Bride. It was cool. titled Devil's Bride then, and I was hooked. I was like in love with this like black magic fighting and yeah. crazy uh sat- satanic cult stuff by the time the goat of menendez pops up at the middle of the ritual i was just like losing my shit as a little kid just like really into it i don't think he was having satan. You're right, no. but no that's a it's a, it's a fantastic no, I was. choice no, you were okay, kid, sure <laughs> I, I didn't want to i didn't want to put anything yeah. in your i didn't want to put words in your mouth court but as long as you're willing to to own up that's fine <laughs> Well, the, hey, I was listening to Black Sabbath <laughs> when I was ten. I was hailing Satan by the time I was turning twelve. Oh, but yeah, Black Sabbath was a ma- was a major thing when I was a kid too. Well, these those two, you know, like I said, my favorite is Vampire Circus. But those two films you guys mentioned, Devil's Bride and and uh, Quatermass in the Pit, would be very close behind that. But you know, they would definitely be in my top five as well as uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave is one of my all time favorites. Really, because oh. that's the one that I saw the most. What they showed on local television here—that was the the Hammer film that that I saw the most. In, in I'd say you know before I was like ten years old, you know that was the one that right. they showed all the time. So I just have a great affection for Dracula's Risen from the Grave. Um, of the of the lead of the Hammer Draculas, um, I have a, a great amount of affection for uh, uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness. Mm, that's uh, a great which is, yeah. which is one that I just for some reason can watch over and over and over again. Although I I, I love them, I love them all. Yeah. You know even even the ones with, <laughs> even the ones where it's obvious that they only got Christopher Lee to agree to do the damn thing at the last minute. So mm. Dracula really doesn't do a damn thing in the film. Yeah. 
I bet they always got him with just like, hey, you know, all your friends here, you know, <laughs> your, their livelihood is based on your, you know, we, we, we make more money if you'll be in the film. And, you know, and these are all your, your old cronies here at Hammer need your help. And I think that's kind of how they always got him to finally agree <laughs> there to was a, there, there was that suspicion for a while that honestly was like, uh, Chris, Chris, come mm-hmm. on down uh, mm-hmm. and have lunch with us. Oh, put on the cape. <laughs> Sure, we'll give you some dialogue. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Oh, my God. Okay, so the, it, 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 end of that sideboard there, uh, unless you'd like to toss <laughs> it does, unless you'd like to toss in your favorite Hammer Dracula film. No, actually, I was thinking that this would make a great uh, a, a great Bloody Pit of Rod episode, so maybe we should probably shelf that for later. Yeah, we oh. should do a Hammer episode sometime, too. That's a, good, but, that's, yeah. a, that's a really good idea, actually. Let's, uh, let's give that some serious consideration for uh, later on. Blind terror strikes fear into the hearts of innocent people. The morgue receives the victims of the blind dead. There's no escape from the blind dead. They are the Templars, devil worshippers, a death cult that has risen from their thousand-year-old tombs to begin a horrible reign of terror. beautiful young girl is trapped by the evil forces. No one is safe from their curse. They're coming! Okay, Troy. Uh, since Court Court uh, named the first one, well, you, you can you can name you can name one off your list now. Okay. All right. Well. Um, okay. I will go with the one that's probably on all three of our lists as well. Let's go ahead and get this one out of the way. Tombs of the Blind Dead. That's probably one of the ones where Court has the whole series on there, probably. But uh, I'm just going to go. Yes. With, yes. yes you it do, was going to be you? the whole series. <laughs> I was actually going to go Tombs of the Blind Dead one and two, and then just stop there. But I'm like, nah, the whole series is good. <laughs> It actually was one of my alternates in case somebody else didn't pull it. So uh, it's good. I, I held myself to just naming Tombs of the Blind Dead, probably my favorite. Mm. So, uh, but uh, you know, the non-Nashy Spanish horror. I mean, that was one that I knew was going to end up on all three of our lists. Mm. I mean, I figured Horror Express and Tombs of the Blind Dead definitely. Mm. But uh, Troy, Tombs of the Blind Dead. Uh, are you naming the entire series or just the first one? <laughs> well, I love the entire series, but uh, I can't in good. Good faith put Ghost Galleon in a show about the best, <laughs> <laughs> about the, the best non-nashy, non-nashy uh, horror films. Although I enjoy aspects of that as well, but uh, uh, but I do really and I enjoy all the films to one degree or another. But I do think the first one is one of the greatest uh, Spanish horror films. Not the uh, Ghost Galleon was actually my first, you know, Blind Dead film. Because I rented it, uh, it was available on video, and I yeah. rented it at Blockbuster. I think it was under the title of whatever that's like, uh, Horror of the Zombies or something like that, I think was its title. Oh, God, so many fucking titles. Uh, and so 
I thought the creatures were kind of cool, but I didn't quite, you know, I still hadn't seen them at their best, which is, you know, where you need to see them is riding the horses in slow motion and just that incredible photography. Yeah. And so, but Tombs of the Blind Dead was when I finally did get to see it, I realized I was like, okay, now I get it. Now I get why everybody loves this, this, this series. And, and I just think it's, I just think the, the, the Blind Dead are just, again, we've talked about this before that along with Nashi's El Hombre Lobo, they're kind of the, the creatures that were actually came from Spanish horror. Yeah. And even more unique than really what Nashi was doing with, which was essentially a werewolf. And even though that character Valdemar Daninsky was his creation, I think what uh, Osario did with the Blind Dead was really pu- pulled something from history, from his imagination, yeah. and made something really unique. He, you know, he kind of, you know, he took what Romero did in Night of the Living Dead and mm-hmm. and twisted it into his own his, his own creation, a, a different idea, something really different and fresh it's it's iconic it's it's mind-bending it's mm. also scary as hell and uh, he includes he, he includes just everything that you need for a good hor- a good horror film of mm. any type uh court uh, if you had to choose one of the four which is actually your favorite uh it would actually be the second one return of the blind dead uh, i know that that's probably going to be blasphemy no, or no, no, heresy no, no. to a lot of people, that one. I I know people that. yeah i know people who don't there's people who say that's their least favorite of the series but i, I really I like what they that. did i like what i love about all four of those films is the way that each one of them truly is kind of a, a, a different take on what they do with the creatures because that second one is yeah. set in that festival and you got you know all happening with this one village yeah you know, I think that's a really neat aspect. Well, I, yeah, of it. and I love the siege aspect of the second one, and the rather unique and never repeated idea that all you have to do is get through the night, and the sunlight will will destroy them. Which I think is, you know, it's it's a unique idea and it's a wonderful idea, but it's something that uh, Osorio dropped and never used again. Um, but you know, that's okay because I, I I'm kind of fascinated by the way that all four films. Can or can be seen as kind of standalone horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they are a series in that they're all about the same creatures, but each time it's almost as if he's not so much hit the reset button as he's decided. Well, let me twist the, this idea in a different way. Let me do something a little different with it. And so, although the rules for them are fairly similar, he adds and takes away, and he changes things around a little bit, and. Of course, back in the seventies when these things were coming out, you know nobody was going to sit down to nobody. Nobody did an entire night of you know let's watch all four of these damn things <laughs> right, and compare yeah. and contrast exactly what the fuck is happening. Yeah, no, nobody did that, which is you know yeah. a, a shame. But now that we can, it is. <laughs> yeah. more, I think you get more enjoyment out of the fact that he didn't adhere to some specific set of rules right. from film to film to film. But I, I no man for a very long time, uh, Return of the Return of the Blind Dead, the second one was. Uh, I considered it might be a little bit better than the first, but over the last few years, I kind of keep going back to the first one being a little bit better, but I've always considered those first two to be, you know, if you're going to rate them on a 1 to 10 scale, they'd have the same rating, and it's just a question of what you're in the mood for. I had actually seen Return of the Blind Dead first. I bought it out of the blue at like a used record shop when I was in college. It was a VHS tape that was like an Anchor Bay tape. It was one of like the special deluxe editions where the front pulled it out and it had like a little blurb written on it and stuff. Yeah. I wish I still, I wish I still had it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I, I sold that VHS tape a long time ago. Um, and I had no clue about it. I just bought it cause it was the title said return of the evil dead. I'm like, fuck, I, I got to watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I read the back and it said something about Knights Templar and I'm like, Knights Templar zombies. Cool. Let's check it out. <laughs> yeah. And 
I completely fell in love with the movie. I made everybody I knew watch it. <laughs> I was like, I don't care if you like horror or not. You're yeah. sitting down and you're watching this movie. <laughs> oh my god! Just so many great ideas. I mean, the fact that they, you know, that they ride skeletal horses and that other people can ride the skeletal horses too. But it's if you get on one of those horses, you enter the dead. You enter their world. Suddenly, you're in slow motion too, and you know, it's just a great and 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 to create these creatures that you can actually. Sometimes when you see them, they're people in makeup, and then sometimes when you see them, they're actually just skeletons, you know, yeah. that, they're, that they're animating. To uh, it's just uh, great, great creations. It's it's it's, I, it's a wonderful uh, thing. I also really like in Return of the Blind Dead or Return of the Evil Dead or however you want to go, you know, whatever title you want to go by. They hunt by sound so much more than any of the other ones. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's it's really like a big point to like try and stay as quiet as possible. Mm-hmm. And that really ratchets up the tension, particularly at the very end when mm-hmm. the hero is trying to sneak everybody past them and like people make too much noise. It's great. So it's almost kind of a, a very Hitchcockian like the birds, you know, it's like the, it's like the sea last thing in sequence of the birds almost where they're, you know, where they're going out and it's just that tension of, you know, trying, to stay, to, trying to stay quiet yeah. so that you don't upset yeah. them and get them to, you know, get them yeah. to flocking again. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's really cool, I, especially that last little sequence, like whenever the sun has come up and they're still being quiet and yeah. careful and yeah. until they all start falling down. And then it's like, wow, that was really tense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great film. OK, uh, uh, now for the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to we'll just do this. We'll just we'll just do this around the globe. So sure, I will sure. I will go with the third one. And uh for the third one, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, since uh, everybody keeps naming my movies, you, bastard, you <laughs> bastards. I'm gonna go with another one off my list, which is uh, the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. <laughs> That's on my. That was my third. One. That was my. That was that. <laughs> See, I was gonna say that was my cheat because it's a Spanish Italian co-production. Exactly. That was gonna yeah. be my. Was yeah. yeah. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know we we, we we fit it into the to the Spanish horror thing, and there's a it has a it has some Italianness to it and some Spanishness to it. But uh, Court, uh, what do you feel about the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue? Oh, I think it's great. It's mm-hmm. one of the most interesting second wave of like kind of zombie films. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it does it predate Night of the Living Dead or is it right around that time? It's oh, like no, shortly no, it's, after. It's it's in, it? It no, been, no, it's almost it's like eight seventy-two years. or three. It's, it's like yeah. a seventy-two. It's, film, a, it's, it's yeah. a seventy-four film, and it came okay. Up, so it's just a few yeah. years after that, and it, and it was specifically produced to be a color version of Night of the Living Dead. That's exactly what everybody involved thought they were doing. Is they were making their own version in color of Night of the Living Dead. Of course, you know Jorge Grau being the kind of weird motherfucker that he is. Uh, that you're not gonna you're not gonna get a direct copy, and thank God for that <laughs> because the, the the things that he does in that movie are simply amazing. Um, I, I love that he's playing around with some of the same ideas that um, Romero would end up using more fully in uh, Dawn of the Dead a few years later. Which is that's what idea. I was thinking of. It's like a precursor yeah. to Dawn of yeah, the Dead without that. even yeah. realizing it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, there's a part of me, and I, I don't know that Romero was ever asked this question. I would love to. I would love to know. But the idea that's pushed very heavily in um, um, this film and, and Living Dead at Manchester Moore is set up, you know, under the credits and then the first chunk of the movie is that. You know, there's so much you know, there's so much focus on pollution and mm-hmm. and, uh, and all the all the things that uh, we're kind of doing that are artificial that um, you know pollute the earth, pollute the air, uh, pollute the water, and all these different things. And then we have this uh, this big uh, piece of machinery that's fucking around with ultrasonic sound, 
which is uh, supposedly supposedly the catalyst or one of the catalysts. The film's never really the, the film leaves open the door that it might be you know just one of one of several elements that actually caused these people to rise from the dead. I love that, and I've often wondered if Romero was ever asked if he ever saw a version of this film and kind of took that idea. But then again. There are the tendrils of that idea stretching all the way back to Night of the Living Dead in the first place. Uh, I mean, you know, there's the there's only that there there are those cast off lines of dialogue, different places in Night that maybe where you know the people who wrote Living Dead in Manchester Morgue mm-hmm. kind of took and ran with what they decided to put on screen as well. But yeah, it is very easy to see as far as thematic elements a kind of dim dim little blip of this idea in Night of the Living Dead, a flower ring mm-hmm. of it <laughs> in uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, and then it really blowing up in Dawn of the Dead as well. So, Yeah, actually, you pretty much covered all my feelings on it. The only other thing I have to note is that it actually reinforces my predisposition to distrust the police in this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, oh, come on, don't you? It's, 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 Ar- Ar- Arthur so, Kennedy is such a so likable one, yes. <laughs> 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 but I, I do love I do love this. There's so many iconic images, and it's so beautifully photographed uh, mm-hmm. that it was a movie that luckily I didn't ever see until uh, that first uh, Anchor Bay DVD that mm-hmm. came out over here in the early 2000s. And I'm so glad I didn't see it until then because I suspect that any VHS I would have ever seen years before would have been kind of a muddy freaking mess. But um, seeing it, you know, with with fair clarity, and of course the, the, the now the Blu-rays look you know even better. That's a beautifully photographed oh, movie. It there, is. There's there, all that you know, the all that greens, shot off that yeah, lush green, that that lush greens, and the the way he uh, he strikingly used color. I mean, you have that big, beautiful green field and that great big red machine. machine. I love that it. machine. It's just yeah. an incredible, just you know, image there. Yeah, <laughs> but also the image of the uh, you know the, the, the wet the, the wet zombie that's you know standing in the standing in the river and mm-hmm. then comes and then comes after um, the 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 women in the movie there's just there's so many excellent sequences but some of the images that uh the the dead the, the dead man you know whose who's head is all wrapped up like he was yeah. uh, like he was in a car accident there's just so many images and that whole the whole thing down in that uh that uh catacomb oh, God, I love that, yeah. it's just just incredibly tense stuff um it's it's such a well-done movie and it's it's smart it's well-paced mm. it's scary as all fuck and yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it, it it kind of points the way toward Dawn of the Dead thematically and in a lot of visual ways as well. I've become a real uh, fan too of Christine Galbo. You know, I really really yeah. have become because I actually was just watching uh, in the uh, just this past week. I've been watching the Arrow uh, edition of What Have You Done to Solange. And I mean, I'd seen it four years ago, but I'd not really. Now that I'm watching it now for the first time since becoming aware of her, I first. Right. Even though I had seen her in these other films, I didn't really kind of begin to become aware of how much I appreciate her as an actress and how much I, I like her. And and until when I saw Living Dead at Manchester Moore, it's, and then we did the uh, the uh, House that Screamed. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then now in What Have You Done to Solange, uh, she in which she's kind of playing in both of those two films. Uh, yeah much younger than she's playing in Living Dead at Manchester Morgan, yet there's only a year or two between those those films, you know, but she's she's playing a much more mature character in Manchester Morgue. Um, but uh I think she's really really great. I mean really does great work and, and I, I actually had forgotten too that she was in The Killer Must Kill Again, which is probably the best oh, thing yeah. that Luigi Cosi ever did. Um yeah, it's, you know. it's it's the Well some people the... would say Star Crash is the best thing he's ever did <laughs> well, no, for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, the, the the killer must kill again is the good Luigi Cozy yeah, film. The yeah, one I could actually yeah. recommend to anyone. Yeah, Star yeah. Crash is the one that I would go, no, but, that's his that's his that's his masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> which is a different thing entirely. A different thing entirely, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, Christine Christine Galbo, I I got yeah. to see it was last year that uh, the Belcourt did that uh, series <laughs> of uh, Giallos and I got mm-hmm. to see um what, what have they done to Solange on the big screen? Oh, that and, awesome. uh, it was really nice to be able to see that and a few others mm-hmm. uh, up on the big screen. And it, it, it is one of those things that when when you see these things projected in a movie theater the way they were originally intended, there is uh, uh, there, there's, so, there's something to be gleaned from them that's not necessarily done without multiple rewatches, even mm-hmm. on a good home system. Yeah. Just because of the setting and the kind of, I don't know, the, the at least for a movie fan, the kind of reverence that you give to a film when you're in a movie theater, as long as you're not having to punch some loud fuck in the other seats. <laughs> uh, that film, and you're right, I hadn't thought about uh, the fact that she was, you know, she was in three real classics. Yeah, yeah. And, right around that same time. But yeah, it's a great, it's, it's, it's a great film and, uh, it definitely would all it would have always ended up on my list, even if I do feel like you said it's a bit of a cheat because mm. it's not a totally Spanish film. Mm. But then there's another mm. not really Spanish film or two that it might have ended up on my list, but I intentionally mm. left off. So yeah. hey, yeah. you know, come on, we can't all we we, we, we can cheat a little bit. But yes, yes. And must we, must we here I thought I was cheating because must we have I did co-productions, but they had to be filmed in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no! You're being safe. Okay, Court. Uh, court, we've cycled back to you. What's another one off your list? Okay, well, we were just talking about how it was primarily filmed in Spain, even though it was a co-production with Mexico, and that's The Devil's Backbone from Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, God, great movie. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. This this film wouldn't just be on a list of Spanish horror films. This would be on like a top five for me for horror films just in general. Yeah, it's such a moving and wonderful film, and I just seem to connect with it better than most other horror films. And it is, it's so breathtaking. It's so beautifully shot. The acting is so incredible. You feel like you are one of the kids in the school with them. And when the ghosts come in, they're horrifying at first until you realize that they're not the real thing you need to be afraid of in that school. And then things get really kind of surrealistic and beautiful, even more so. It's a multi-layered, beautifully done, intelligent film and it's also a ghost story. Mm-hmm. So what the hell more could you want? Yeah. I love that iconic image. The, 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 the unexploded bomb that's just sitting in the middle of yeah. the village. It's just great. You know, that's a, and, and the ghost, I, what a great, the, the ghost is so well depicted with the, the way the, 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 the water, the water that's flowing yeah. and, and flowing in the air, like away from his, his head, you know, yeah. it just, uh, uh, is, is, is amazing. There's yeah. so much, there's so much good in that film. It's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect example of, um, the smaller films that del Toro is so capable of pulling off that have so many, so many hidden depths and that Mm. won't, won't, won't in any way connect with a really huge audience because it is such a strange idea. And there are so many elements that you have to take into account and enjoy. You kind of have to enjoy the way he merges them together. Mm. And for some people it's a, it's a huge jump. I think that, I think that more people probably like uh, Pan's Labyrinth, than the devil's backbone, but um, and I'm not and I'm not quite sure why because the the fantasy elements within that are even more overt. But yeah, devil's backbone is just a phenomenal film. I, I think it's fantastic and it's a fine choice. I think it might also be my wife's favorite Guillermo del Toro film as well. 
It's it's a great movie. Yeah, it is. It is. It's yeah. That's that's funny. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about what my favorite Del Toro is. It might be that one. Although there's there's several oh, others. So there's tough. several others that are, I know he's yet to disappoint me. I mean, it's like there's certainly some of his films that I've enjoyed more than others, but yeah. I've not yet seen anything of, of his that I did not and did not enjoy. Well, you were, were you, were you, you were with us when we saw Kronos. Yes. It, at the bell. Yeah. When it first came out, that was kind of like his up, yeah, at, first, uh, uh, up in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So we used to go to a, um, a horror movie, a 24 hour horror movie marathon up in Columbus, Ohio. This was back in the nineties. Mm. And, uh, Kronos, we, we, you know, it was his first feature film and they were doing like some kind of, you know, like mid, mid Midwest premiere Premier, or whatever yeah. the hell mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. But what is it, it was one of the movies, one of the new movies that got put into that, tw- into that year's 24 hour movie marathon. And Kronos just blew us away. Yeah. We could not believe what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were really primed for the rest of his movies. And then, um, I, I saw mimic, um, down at uh, dragon con mm-hmm. when Mim- just before mimic came out, they were showing it down at dragon con in Atlanta and uh, Del Toro was actually there and like did a did a talk and, and then hung out and, and talked with everybody after the movie. And so uh, that so that was really cool. So after you know, after the, the one two punch of I think I, I think I was one of the few people in the theater who had already seen Kronos. So, mm, yeah, <laughs> so I, you know, yeah. it was like a- after that, you just realize, oh, OK, well, this guy, he, he then goes on to do uh, Blade 2 and you see, OK, he can do action as well. Mm. So you get to this point where you're just enjoying it's it's it, I still I gotta I, I'm gonna say it and I hate I hate to have to say this but I know what you're gonna say so many years squandered fucking around trying to break the Hobbit and they oh that's uh, not what I thought you were gonna uh, say go uh, ahead oh, no, no, oh, well then oh, well then what were you gonna say I, I'm just I'm always angry at the amount of time that Del Toro wasted uh, trying to uh, find a, a way to to placate everyone to make the Hobbit into a film. And then finally leaves it because he's like, "There's you know, why stretch this fucking thing out to three goddamn movies?" <laughs> yeah, now that I've seen one of them, I understand why he didn't think it was a good idea because it fucking wasn't. But all that time, all that time he wasted, it's just like, God damn it, he could we, we could have another damn movie from him already. You know, but. Well, I thought what you were gonna say was to, to me. I always just will regret that he never got to make at the Mountains of Madness and then spend a lot he of may time. Still, you he think may so? Still, really? He Maybe. may still. There's that 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 thing is still that just has me drooling, him. man. Just the, yeah. the, the the idea of, of Del Toro doing Lovecraft has got me like you know I just want to see that so bad. Well, as when, long as he can keep Tom Cruise away from it, because when I heard that Tom Cruise was getting involved with it, I I lost all hope. But see, that tells you how how little, how much the the deck was stacked against him, or how yeah. little. If you have, well, if you, I mean, if you have Tom Cruise on board to make a film, and Tom Cruise was heavily bought yeah. in, I mean, he yeah. really, what well, I mean, he really wanted to do it, and it, yeah. it still couldn't get a go ahead. Yeah, that's fucking. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm guessing it was thing that the way Del Toro wanted to do it, it would have cost millions and millions, and he wanted, and he wanted yeah. to make and he wanted to make it R-rated, I bet. And that's probably those two factors probably killed and it. it and, it, and in instances like that, you know, say what you want to about Tom Cruise, he has a history. Uh, once he's committed to something, oh, he'll go to bat. He w- he goes to bat, and he demands that mm-hmm. you know he demands that the director gets to to have the say, and he will mm-hmm. he will he will argue with people about mm-hmm. money and force the yeah. issue on money, and kind of yeah. swing you know swing his own dick about money because mm-hmm. he'd rather the film get made the way it was sure. supposed to be made than yeah. not. So you know, say what you want to about Cruise, and there's a lot to say about uh, Cruise <clears throat> Scientology, uh, but um, <laughs> there's uh, a lot to be said for him as well, and. The fact that that couldn't get made mm-hmm. with him backing it—that's that's really freaking weird. But no, the, the only man on earth couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise. Oh no, you couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise.
Tom Cruise is always getting older He knows he'll never be that young again And when Tom Cruise looks back over his shoulder He sees a thousand younger leading men And he knows someday he'll have to play An old retarded grandpa Well, someone younger plays his sexy son Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy Just be glad it's him, not you If you had Tom Cruise's troubles You might be Tom Cruise crazy too You'd flash your big white shiny smile You'd buy expensive shoes But you'd be the only man on earth Who couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise, oh no You couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise Tom Cruise hopes somewhere there's a place for him Cause he's not of this world anymore Somewhere in some secluded castle Poor Tom Cruise sits staring at the wall And the outside world is always such a hassle Sometimes he won't go out at all There are millions who know his name Everybody loves him Why is it that he feels so alone? Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy Just be glad it's him, not you Tom Cruise's troubles You might be Tom Cruise crazy too You'd flash your big white shiny smile You'd buy expensive shoes But you'd be the only man on earth Who couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise Oh no, you couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise I sound I sound like the little name dropping geek boy here, but one of the one of the one of the, one of the, one of the projects. Own it, own it. Well, okay, one of the projects that uh, he still hasn't been able to pull the trigger on uh, is, and I saw I he he showed us in his in his notebooks that that year at DragonCon we were just flipping through it and he was talking about some of these projects is this incredible horror western that he wants to make mm. and he still hasn't been able to get that uh, off the ground anywhere at all although although I know he's been trying. And I know it's. Got, I can't remember what title he had it under then, but just some of the ideas he had for this uh, this uh, wet, this horror western. I was just drooling, thinking, "It's like, oh man, maybe that's maybe that'll be his next movie or the movie after that." And it's like, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> twenty years later, and we still ain't there. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> once again, the devil's backbone is a very good film. Yes, it is. It is. I knew. Time. I knew as soon as I said Guillermo del Toro, it would go through his whole entire career because he's such an amazing filmmaker. Yeah, and he's one of us. He's, he is truly. He's yeah. a yes. he's a super ultra fan nerd, just like us. Yeah, it's just that he got to make the movies that he wanted to make. Well, I love the, I love the fact that you know the you walk into his you know house, he pictures house, and there's just in that first open room, there's just this massive head of the Frankenstein monster, you know, hanging <laughs> over, over attached to the you know the balcony that overlooks the big lobby of his of his home. You know, I mean that just says it all right there. Yep. Oh yeah, he's every bit the monster kid that the, the three of us are. Man. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, believe me, the, the it was like the day after that. That at that Dragon Con, I'll never forget. He was out. He was out just walking around and buying things at Dragon Con in the dealer's room. And so I end up like 
hunting through comic book boxes next to him, and we're just we're just babbling about what we're both looking for in these time comic boxes. It's like if you want a vision, if you want a vision of a guy who's just one of us, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely fell in love with him during the commentary for the first Hellboy film. Oh man, that that he did because he spent the entire time just talking about his love of Jack Kirby and how he was such a huge influence on his life. And, like, individual shots that were in the film were directly inspired by panels the way that Jack Kirby would draw it. And then he even went on to talk about how Mike Magnolia was such a huge influence on him as well. And, you know, it was such an honor to be able to get to do Hellboy and all of that kind of stuff. And just hearing the amount of love and respect and just honor he kept pouring on both of those comic book artists who are huge influences on myself – Particularly Jack Kirby because he gets overshadowed so much. You just know Del Toro's one of you. Yeah, he's 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 good people. I had that so <laughs> same. Uh, I had the same reaction and listened to his commentary for Pacific Rim because me being the Godzilla geek, you know the fact that it, I love the point in the in, in his commentary. He's talking about how kind of talking about kaiju movies and also the giant robot movies and, and traditions of Japan. And I love it where he said he said I didn't make this film to improve upon these things. That I made this film as a love letter to those to those yeah, things, yeah. you know, which I thought was great. Well that's the thing about listening to any of his commentary mm-hmm. tracks is and th- this is a beautiful thing and I've listened to I think three or four of his commentary tracks over the years. And one of the things that you'll notice pretty quickly is how he's he's always talking about what everybody else involved in the film did yeah yeah he's always talking about all these influences and all these things that made him think of this that or the other and then he's talking about how you know i'll I'll never forget there was this great line um in his commentary track for uh for blade 2 there's this moment where the villain just in slow motion walks across and grabs uh another character and just has this incredibly vicious look on his face and physically picks this, this character up and slings them across the floor. And at that point on the commentary track, you can hear, you can hear Del Toro go right there, a director's best special effect, the actor. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, there you go. Yeah. There's a man who loves making movies and knows exactly yeah. what he's got when he's got it. And he'll, and in the way he points out things in this on screen draws your attention to, details that he put there you know you begin to realize very quickly that there's nothing left to chance in any of his sets or any frame i mean everything is there yeah. for a reason everything symbolizes something every color is chosen for you know the, specific the, reason. yeah exactly so uh, we're not fans man sorry not at all no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i know i see when you said mexican spanish co-production i i was waiting to hear a santo when i didn't hear santo's name you i just tuned you out immediately <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that would have been on my list, but it's a little further down. Of, yeah. I'm such a Guillermo del Toro fanboy. Oh, yeah. I, I freely admit it. I love yeah. the man way more oh, than I should. Yeah, if I do. ever meet him, I'll probably have a restraining order immediately <laughs> put on me. <laughs> just sob on his shoes and oh yeah. No, it's <laughs> well, 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 the good news is apparently he's still a really nice guy. So. <laughs> that screamed the venomous seed of tormented desire grows to a nightmare of unspeakable horror i must run this establishment with a firm pen everything seems very strange madame five girls have disappeared in less than four months we've never heard from any of these girls again five have died 
I've completely lost track of what number we're on, but Troy, it's your turn. Oh, is it? Okay, well, I already shot my wad, really, because I, I oh. once again, I'm the one that played by the rules. I just picked three, uh, but I can always name more. I mean, gosh, I think I said earlier The House That Screamed, and that was, that was certainly that one's The House on my Screamed list. is one I love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a that was one that was just so much so much fun to watch and just so interesting the way the story unfolded and uh, just some great great actors in that and and uh, a very nice mystery to that one. Uh, one and we've never done this on Beyond Nash uh, covered yet is The Bell from Hell. I've always uh, liked that one. That's a very disturbing film. It's, okay, uh, I haven't watched The Bell from Hell since my uh, bootleg days back in the nineties, mm-hmm. and my memory of it is it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, very good. But I haven't rewatched it because I've kind of been holding it in check, kind of like uh, mm-hmm. Candle for the Devil sure. as another one to do. Yeah. For the Beyond Nashy shows, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, so let's not talk about Bell from yeah, Hell because yeah, we, I haven't seen it in 20 yeah, years. Right. Yeah, and it's been, it's been a while for me, but I saw it a few years ago, so it's more fresher in my memory, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. But it's one that, yeah, we definitely need to cover at some point. But if you want to talk about The House That Screamed, yeah. uh, of course we did that. We did we did an episode on it just last mm. year, and I think it is a phenomenal movie. Uh, very quiet. I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 the gothicness drips from it. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's a wonderful mystery. It's It's got, uh, le- you know, it's got lesbianism, so I'm on board. Mm-hmm, and right. then... Uh, <laughs> But uh, a, f- a phenomenal film, and one of those that uh, you know, there, there's the argument made that without that movie being made, and kind of the one-two punch of you know, Mark of the Wolfman and that film, yeah, uh, you wouldn't really have the boom that became the golden age of Spanish horror. And I think that's probably true. Mm. And to a degree, I think that um, House of Scream probably should receive a little bit more credit because it got better distribution all over the world than Mark mm. of the Wolfman did. And uh, it's also, I mean, kind of the it's kind of the film that could have played both in grind houses or in the drive-in, but also could have played in art houses. Yeah, as well. I think it was a pretty well-budgeted production yeah. at the time it came out. I think it was considered like an A-list film. You know, it was it was given quite a bit of care. And he had a, he had a, he had weeks and weeks. He had like what two two or three months to make the thing. Mm-hmm. So he had the cash and the time to craft. You know the film. I mean, when you see it, you can see that that you know a lot of care was taken. This is not a slapdash production by any means at all. And I think it's just a, a phenomenal movie. And I'm so glad that we now have that excellent Blu-ray yeah. that exists. And watching the uh, watching, as I mentioned earlier, watching what ha- what have you done to Solange, and thinking about the uh, you know the whole kind of subgenre of jalos and mysteries and horror films, you know, set in, in girls' schools and something. Sort of that was probably one of the first films to do that too. You know, probably one of the early ones. I'm not saying it was the first, yeah, but probably yeah. an early film that was that successful and and with that kind of setting probably had an influence on this later line of jalos that kind of specialized or use that as their main focus or main location. Yeah, and uh, it, it being seen as I don't think it's ever been grouped in with the giallos, no. but it has a lot of similar themes. Of course, the setting definitely plays into it, mm-hmm. and the you know the the one at a time killers, which kind of you know makes it in some ways kind of a proto slasher. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there are a lot of things in it that I think um, I'm I'm always cur- I'm always wondering in the back of my head whether a uh, you know a younger audience, an audience that's uh, that's more into uh, uh, more recent films. Uh, basically, someone I always try to picture whether somebody under the age of thirty 
could uh, come to this film and enjoy it. And if and I think that cert, to a certain degree, if you're a horror aficionado, you probably could. Uh, I think that. Um, you know, it's 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 always famously said that with a lot of these European productions, there's a there there's a certain amount of there are a certain a certain number of things you have to forgive the productions. I mean, we were we were laughing and joking about some of the things that we just kind of take in stride in Horror Express earlier, and I think that there are things that uh, in almost any of these films that you would kind of have to give the film to to enjoy it. You're going to have to willfully suspend your disbelief at certain times because mm-hmm. there are th- you know there are things that. That are that are filmmaking tropes, or that are things that happen in the course of certain types of stories that you just have to accept if you're going to enjoy watching that kind of story. But the thing about the house that screamed is, I think you could come to it without. I mean, I don't think you have to give that movie very much at all mm-hmm. to just yeah. enjoy yeah. it for what it is. No, no. Yeah. The, the only complaint I could see is that, like a lot of uh, of mysteries with a certain number of. Uh, with only a certain num- number of possible murderers, mm-hmm. maybe by a certain point you figured it out before other characters in the story have. So, but it does also do that. Uh, and again, not spoiling anything, but just saying that there's a point where a major character dies, where you don't expect that major character to, you know. Yes. And so it does that whole thing too, which is a tradition that, of course, that Psycho started, you know, and that whole thing yeah. there that that uh, became a. And it's still always, whenever that happens, it's it's always, I think, an interesting jolt to anybody watching it, I think, of any age, you know, so that it's like, oh, whoa, wait a minute, you know, it kind of snaps their attention and, you know, to, to throw a curveball like that at the court. Is this one that you've seen, uh, House of Screamed? Uh, no, and as you guys were talking about it, I'm like adding it to my wish list, and then I'm like, <laughs> no, forget that, buying it now, getting that Shout Factory disc, this sounds amazing. Please oh, don't spoil film. it. Please don't spoil it. Please don't spoil it. Certainly won't. Certainly won't. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave it. We're gonna leave the discussion of it right there and let you uh, let you enjoy it as as cleanly as possible because I think <laughs> I think you will get a kick out of it. Well, you know, yeah, it's, it sounds it's, amazing. Well, the, the thing about it is, uh, the guy who made it uh, was more famous. He, he made the, the guy who uh, directed it and co-wrote it made his money, made his bones in Spanish television. That's where the most of his career is. He only made two feature films. The, uh, the house that screamed, and the other is who could kill a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and have you okay, seen? Okay, there we go. That's that's why I, I should have known the house that screamed is who could kill a child. Yeah, because that he, he literally made only two feature films, and they're both classics. And then he became kind of successful in television, right? He, yeah, like, yeah. Was there some sort of game show or something that he? Oh, he did. Uh, well, he, 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 he was successful in television before the house that screamed in the '60s as well. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is why he got so much leeway and so much time yeah. and money to make the this first feature film, mm. and then it made a lot of money. Mm. But then he spent the next several years just you know still you know making making television. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, there's a number of things that he did, but the thing that made him a number of things he did on Spanish television that made him money. But yeah, the thing that made him like super wealthy is yeah, some yeah. damn game show he came up with in the '70s. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, who can kill a child would be another one that would be high up, high up on my list for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, court, court. Uh, I don't know if it's on your list or not. I didn't put who can kill a child on my list. I tried to restrict myself to just one of the two films mm. that he made yes but that new mono macabro blue i have it sitting on my shelf but i haven't looked at it yet uh absolutely love that movie we we covered it a couple of years ago now mm. and it's i think yeah. in its anniversary year yeah we did yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but uh uh so you court i know you've seen who can kill a child yeah it's been a while but i have seen it i watched it actually I got like a bootleg version of it when yeah. i knew you guys were covering it oh yeah and i haven't i haven't pulled the trigger on the mondo macabro uh, disc just yet 
Um, I've thrown a lot of money their way for the limited editions for a lot of the Spanish stuff that they've been putting out, like the Nashi films and even the Bloodstained Bride and stuff like that. And that's one that I got to pull the trigger on too. Oh, most surely. I just figured you'd definitely seen Who Could Kill a Child because you'd love that title. So, <laughs> well, the, an- the answer is an anytime answer, somebody says that title is me. Crazy, crazy. Yes, Court raising his hand in the back. Who Could Kill a Child? That one back there. Yeah, the, that, the that movie poster has been used quite a bit in my uh, Facebook group, where people will do alternative photography and put my face on that because <laughs> it just works so well for that, you know. <laughs> Okay, Court, uh, what's another one off of your list? Well, this would be the last of my original three, so the rest I'm going to be doing after this is my honorable mentions. Okay. This may, this one might be a little bit of a curveball for you guys, but it's uh, Lobos de Arga, or the English release, which is Game of Werewolves. Never got released here in the States. I've been wanting to um, see this one. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I still haven't watched the damn thing, and I own the fucking Blu-ray. Oh, this is sad. Mm-hmm. I bought the Blu-ray from... Uh, Amazon UK and had it shipped over and I am so in love with this movie. It is such a great horror comedy. It's basically like just to kind of give you guys an idea since you may not have seen it. It's essentially the Shaun of the Dead of werewolf movies is is how I would phrase it where it's a horror comedy mix that's done so beautifully. Uh, When uh, I guessed it on outside the cinema before I even actually started like doing full fledged podcasting, I think. Uh, I did these. I did two selections for like their uh, summer of support thing, and Game of Werewolves was one of them. And it was, I think, Chris's favorite movie they reviewed that year from outside the cinema. He really liked it, and it's such a great movie. It, it mixes the comedy, the horror, really, really well. The werewolves actually look really good, and there's a bunch of them. Now they may use some CG to kind of replicate all like the the large amounts but they're mostly suited people cool. just standing there and there's a ton of them awesome. there's a there's a scene where they're being chased by werewolves in a catacomb and it just gets lit up by like torchlight and all you see is just werewolves as far as the light casts it's amazing <laughs> oh that sounds great and like i say it's one i've known yeah. for years i've needed to see and everything i've heard about it is very positive and i've owned the fucking blu-ray mm-hmm. it probably for 5 damn years Oh, God, this is so sad. I, you know, Tro- Troy, let's put that on the, the short yeah. list to go ahead and just watch this year, get it out of the way. Yeah, man. Because you guys should totally do a Beyond Nashy on it. It's such a great movie. It's like it's like they, our, our next Beyond Nashy will be, well, we've already got it lined up. We know what film we're going to cover. It's a it's it's one from the Golden Age. But, yeah, yeah, we're going to, that's, that's the beauty is uh, we can keep doing Beyond Nashy episodes until we're both old and gray. Or, should I say older and grayer? So, <laughs> you mean so older next week. And sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I will say that I have uh, I pull I, I put two on my list from the '90s because I feel that's a decade where um, Spanish horror was kind of uh, at, at a low point, but there were some really sharp moments in the '90s for Spanish horror. And uh, I think they led, they kind of led into the 2000s, uh, mainly because of uh, some of the filmmakers involved. And uh, I'll just say that for my next pick, I'll go ahead and jump to 1996 for the film Thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I may be the only one of the three of us who's seen this. No, I've seen it. You've uh, seen, seen it? Uh-huh. Okay. I have. Uh, Alejandro Amenabar's It's been film. a while, but I remember I really liked it. Uh, yeah, saw it on, on mm-hmm. a, a bootleg back in the 90s. If you've not seen it, uh, Court, let me highly recommend Thesis. Uh, I will not ruin it for you because uh, I, I, I don't. I, it would be a crime. Uh, I will just say that it's uh, the, the main character's uh, a woman who's uh, uh, 
working on her th- uh, her final thesis in college. She decides she wants she she's she's doing research in a certain way, and one of the uh, one of the things she runs across she's afraid might act, might be an actual snuff film. That sounds like the setup for half a dozen different movies, all of which suck. <clears throat> eight, mil- <laughs> eight millimeter, eight millimeter. <clears throat> anyway, but quite honestly, thesis is one of the the most tense, sharply done, well acted little horror movies of the 1990s, and almost no one has seen it. It's a fantastic movie. It pointed the way uh, for uh, Amenabar, uh, the director. I mean, after this, he made yeah. the film uh, Open Your Eyes, mm-hmm. which then got turned into uh, Vanilla, Sky. Vanilla Sky, which uh, Open Your Eyes is a better film, but they kind of tell the same story. Open Your Eyes is fantastic. And then he uh, he, he made, uh, I think his first English language film was The Others, yeah, the, go- is, yeah, the ghost really film good. with Nicole Kidman. And... Um, He's gone on. He's he's done several other movies. I haven't seen his more recent ones, but I did see Angora, which was from two thousand eight or nine, which is a fantastic historical drama. And uh, he's just he's, he's a very interesting filmmaker who, for my taste, doesn't get to make enough films. He also made Fragile. That was a really good little. Uh, that was oh, yeah. a, he made that. Oh one in yeah, Britain. he made that, that in a, Britain. Yeah, that, that was released here in the states by Fangoria. That was a really creepy movie. Wait a minute, was that a Minibar? Oh no no that that, that wasn't uh, that wasn't Alejandro Amenabar. I'm sorry he didn't he didn't make that one. Um, but my other pick from the '90s <laughs> is involved in that one. Uh, uh, my other pick from the '90s from 1999, the Spanish film The Nameless. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh yeah, that is a good one. That yeah, that is a fan fucking fantastic film and a textbook case of how to smartly adapt a horror novel to film based on the Ramsey Campbell novel right yes indeed he uh, uh, th- th- was the, I'm gonna mangle this director's name uh, uh, wh- how is it Wame or Hume J-U-A-M-E I can never remember how to pronounce his name and I know I'm slaughtering it because the J is not pronounced mm-hmm. as a J uh, Balagarius and I'm slaughtering his last name too. But he went on to make. Um, I'm just leaving you twisting out there, man. Yeah, I'm you're gonna, gonna help you with that. <laughs> please with that do, <laughs> please do. Leave leave me twisting you, dick. Uh, but he's 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 one of the people who went on to make um, Fragile and then uh, the Wreck movies as well. And uh, he's a fantastic filmmaker. But the Nameless uh, in '99 is, in some ways, I think he may never top it simply because he did such a smart a smart take. Mm-hmm. on the Ramsey Campbell novel because he did something that's kind of radical. And it, after I saw the movie, I read the Ramsey Campbell, Campbell novel just to compare. And he sticks incredibly close to the book, but he extracts one element that's in the book. He took the supernatural element completely out of the story for the film. And what's really amazing is how much scarier that makes the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's no supernatural element. These are all just cultist scumbags. It's so much more terrifying when the, 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 the horror isn't, you know, isn't offset by being able to distance yourself mm-hmm. from it by yeah. saying, Oh yeah, 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 well the supernatural element, whatever, whatever. Uh, it's just a brilliant film. And I think uh, both thesis and nameless are brilliant Spanish horror films from the nineties. I might even throw in another one that uh, Amenabar was connected with. He co-wrote a film called no, uh, Nobody Knows Anybody, which is, a, which is a really interesting film. I wouldn't put it in the same category as Thesis and uh, The Nameless, but uh, that's a good one to uh, look into as well if you're curious about uh, uh, what the Spanish horror industry was up to in the 90s. 
I have at least one other film to talk about. How about everybody else? Oh, I have plenty of uh, of, of <laughs> mentions. Still. You, you kind of mentioned mine already, but Wreck 1 and 2 are definitely mm-hmm. two amazingly well put together those horror really, films. Yeah, and they play really well, well into each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a huge... Okay, well, the thing about the Wreck films is there's a big breakdown um, b- between fans. I think there's a lot. There's been a lot of a lot of argument uh, about the, the first two films. I think it's I think it's brilliant what they did because the first film, as you can tell by the American remake, mm-hmm. can just be seen as a straight ahead you know standard zombie film. You know they remade it as Quarantine, and that's really what it is. But that second one, the sequel. It makes that first movie even better because the, the, the explanation for what's going on is so much darker and so much sicker and so much more interesting and original. Uh, well, not necessarily original, but my God, what a fresh take on bringing a zombie idea to the screen. I really like the second one more than the first one. I feel like the first one is just kind of a, a prelude to build up to what happens in the second movie. I agree. Now, I agree completely. Uh, the, the third and the fourth films, I don't really have a problem with, but they just don't, they feel apart. They just feel like someone else taking a crack at it. They don't feel like the other two movies. The other two movies fit so seamlessly together that you could make a super cut of them, essentially, yeah. if you really wanted to. Exactly. But the other, like, three kind of has some moments that would sort of work, but, you know, it, it has that prequel thing to it. And then the fourth one, I don't even think I ever finished because them running around on the ship just wasn't doing it for me. I gotta admit, the fourth one, which is which was also directed by the guy who did the, the first two, uh, the fourth one is the only one that I, I thought really kind of didn't didn't cross the finish line at all. Uh, the fourth one was pretty weak in my opinion, but still, the first two are incredible. The third one does have its moments like the bride running around with a chainsaw when she tears her dress off, trying her best to get out of the wedding before she changes to. Yeah. I, I just thought that was really cool. And it's a very iconic image. I think that's why they used it for the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. like the, I like the third one quite a bit. I, lo- mm-hmm. I, love the, I love how they do away with the first person conceit uh, in the third one about a third of the way through. I think that was really smart and funny. And then the film continues to play out very effectively. I just, it just, it can't be anywhere near as good as the first two. And there, that's, that's just the way it, that's, it's kind of built in sadly. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really hate quarantine. Um, I know I it's kind it. of pale in comparison. It has its moments. That's pretty entertaining. If, if you want to see a wet fart of a film, watch quarantine too, though. I actually bought uh, on like a voodoo platform on, on digital. I bought the pack where I get them together. Yeah. And I, I like a lot of the actors that are in quarantine too. But yeah, it just really falls apart. And they spend way too much time in a baggage claim like area <laughs> that, that yes. gets beset by zombies. And it's like, really, guys, come on. This is taking forever. <laughs> the worst part of it for me is by then I'd already seen. Um, you know, wreck two and had my mind blown by the, the concepts being thrown around by it. The whole idea being so game changing in a way. And then you watch this sequel and you're just like, Oh fuck, it's just another fucking cheap ass, boring zombie film. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. They did kind of miss the mark on that, but the wreck one and two is still some of the most solid, well-made horror films out there. And probably the finest example of the quote unquote found footage and what you can do with it. That works. Oh yeah, and and it's 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 radical what can happen when that 
when that concept is used well. Yeah, if you actually plan it out and you just don't have someone like blowing their nose into the camera apologizing about their project. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, well, I have one more classic Spanish horror film to talk about because I really, and I think other people love this film as well, but I know for some reason it's not got, it's definitely not gotten the, the say, Blu-ray release love that I wish it would get, uh, but there's probably a reason for that, and that would be uh, Murder Mansion from 1972. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, Murder Mansion was definitely like in my longer list of, you know, yeah. honorable mentions too, but uh, that's one that I feel like I would... I, I enjoy even more if I got to see it in just a really nice print. I mean, the, what we saw, we worked with the materials we had, and we still thoroughly enjoyed the film, but I would yeah. love to see a better copy of that. Yeah, Murder Mansion's unfortunately one of those movies that's, I think it may have fallen afoul of public domaindom for yeah. a while as yeah. well, oh, yeah. which may be uh, keeping it from being snatched up by, I mean, there may be some right, kind of rights problem that would that would make it difficult for something Absolutely. like Shout Factory or Mondo or, or, or Severn or whoever in the fuck decided mm-hmm. to do it. To oh, okay. I, I just realized which film you're talking about because I know it under uh, the Mansion of the Doomed or Maniac Mansion is what I know it under. Right. There's right. Mi- many, yeah, many, t- many titles. Um, yeah. But just it's just a great film. It's, just, it's, a, it's a great film. It's, it's one of my favorite um, – it's one of my favorite kinds of horror films. It's the disparate group of people mm-hmm. get lost in, in the night – and converge onto a house that none of them live in, mm-hmm. and shit starts to happen to them one at a time. I love those kind of things because it's it's a bizarre uh, it's a bizarre uh, combination of things like the sea a siege story, uh, supernatural you know with with possible supernatural elements, the fact that none of these people know each other, so nobody can really trust anybody else. Yeah, um, and it's, it's this was this is a particularly well played version of that kind of story. Uh, a lot of great uh, Spanish and just in general European character actors are in it. They do a fantastic job. The atmosphere of the piece is extraordinarily well handled. Um, all the pieces fit, which is really, really fun because once you get to the end, it kind of, uh, it, when all the pieces click into place and uh, we, we find out exactly what's going on, I'm going to try not to spoil things because I do want people to seek this out. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's probably sitting on YouTube for free. <laughs> Somebody but, probably has it in one of their like multi-film horror box collections, you know, 50 horror films for, you know, yeah. four bucks or something. They probably got it sitting there. On <laughs> but but it's worth your time. It's it's well worth seeing. And I do think that, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a list of 10 favorite Spanish horror films, uh, it would it would end up in my listing. Mm. But it's because I'm partial to those types of stories. I think it's great, too. I love the atmospheric sort of surrealistic feel that it has at the very beginning. It's almost like the opening of a Lucio Fulci film, yeah. the way that it has that weird, like heavy fogged atmosphere. Yeah. And it's it's real surrealistic and it has this strange feeling to it and you don't really know what's going on. It's almost like uh, uh, it starts off feeling kind of like the exterminating angel because none of the people know where they are either or what they're doing there or how they ended up there. Yeah. And then it, the way that it ends just feels like uh, – well, it does get supernatural. I'll just put it that way. So, kind of like a Night of the Living Dead. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of neat, creepy stuff, and then there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting reveals as we learn more about the characters. It's just a, it's just a fun movie. I mean, we, yeah. we we covered it under the title Murder Mansion because that's the the title that seemed most prevalent, at least here in the states. But it's it's known under a dozen different titles, and um, 
people, if you if you've never heard of it, seek seek. I I, I can't remember if we spoiled it in our episode or not. Gosh, I don't remember either. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, uh, seek, you guys did. You went through it pretty much the whole way through. Did we? Yeah. Man, okay. Wow. Well, uh, I suddenly, folks, I suddenly don't I listen like to it. Yeah. I don't like this at all. I, I, suddenly, we're assholes. Yeah. Uh, you no. You warn you warn people ahead okay, of time that so you're going to spoil it as you go oh, through it. Though. Okay. Well, uh, seek seek the film out. I think that it's one that's. Uh, I think that much like Horror Express, it's one that I seem to remember popping up pretty regularly on cheap DVDs, and it may have even been shown on um, Saturday and Sunday afternoons all the way up through the 80s. At least that's my memory, but it's worth checking out. It's, it's, a, it's a good little film, and, uh, you know, worth... Uh, worth maybe somebody like Scream Factory or yes. you know, Mondo yeah. Macabro or somebody mm-hmm. doing a really yeah, good please. version of. Yeah, okay. That would be really nice if somebody... Well, you guys have all the pull on that. Just start telling me. Oh, oh, yeah. You've done commentaries oh, yeah. for them. Oh, yeah. So much, so <laughs> we are the, much pull. We are the movers and shakers behind the scene of the... Oh, uh, well, in that respect, and I wonder now if I should carve this out of the episode because I don't know how much... I don't know how much of what I'm about to say. D- Troy and I haven't caught up in the past few weeks uh, since, uh, since I got back from Monster Bash. I was talking with him about the fact that we, we, we're all kind of aware of a few... Uh, previously announced Nashi films that are supposed to be coming out on Blu-ray from Code Red. There's been a mixture of, of titles, uh, three, possibly four movies, and they're, uh, you know, uh, Mummy's Revenge, Fury of the Wolfman, and uh, uh, Assignment Terror. And with a fourth, possibly, uh, they've, they've said something about the possibility of them doing the release of uh, uh, Mark of the Wolfman. But I don't know about that because Mark of the Wolfman was going around, you know, they had, yeah. they had a 3D version of it that was, you know, going around to different cities here in the States. Nowhere near us, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But there was still talk about them, um, you know, doing like a 3D Blu-ray release of Mark of the Wolfman. I don't know if Code Red was going to be actually involved in that, but there was some talk that they might be. But where it is, from what I can hear, there's just no new information on when those Blu-rays are going to exist because, as far as we can tell, no extras have even been produced for them yet. So, who knows if those three or four are going to see the light of day anytime soon. So, there's this little dark part of my soul that fear that fears that we may have we, we may have hit a wall on Nashi Blu-ray releases, and there's a there's a lot of tears coming if that turns out to be true, at least from me. Yeah, because we have no idea how these initial releases have sold, you know, and, yeah. and so so this which is interesting. After that big big flurry of Nashi releases, they've suddenly dried up again. It's possible that, you know, obviously that's what's going to drive more releases is how much they is how well they've sold, and we don't really know how 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 they've done. Well, I got to tell you, I was a little, I don't know, I was miffed, and then I couldn't figure out at Monster Bash, I was a little miffed, and I couldn't figure out if I should be miffed. If I should be angry, if I shouldn't feel anything about this, but of all the dealers there, not a single one of them was carrying a single copy of any of the fucking Paul Nashy Blu-rays. Really, really. not one. Yeah. And I don't mean, and I don't, I don't know if that means that they, you know, they sold out of them and that they just decided not to order more or, or whatever the fuck the deal is. But it was really kind of obvious to me walking around the place for three days. That wow! So there's like if you suddenly got the urge to go, oh, you know, I should have bought that. I should have already bought that Paul Nashie set or one of them anyway. Yeah, you weren't going to be able to do it the whole mm. damn weekend. Yeah, and that kind of pissed me off. And I could, I kind of wrestled the whole weekend with, <laughs> should I be pissed off about this? Is this? You know, I don't, I don't know. But still, it's um, 
it's kind of, it's kind of odd, and, and it does make me wonder. I mean, we do know that uh, there's a possibility, without giving anything away, there's a possibility of uh, another company doing at least at least one more Nashi film, possibly two, but we haven't heard anything new about that. So if you're looking for a uh, fresh Nashi Blu-ray news, we don't really have anything good to report, and <laughs> uh, no, certainly nothing on the immediate horizon. I did check while you were kind of explaining that uh, Murder Mansion has a DVD on Amazon for about 10 bucks. It's also available on Amazon Prime. It looks like if you have Prime, you can watch it now. So. Oh, that'd be a good way to say that, it. That, that would point very clearly toward it falling into public domain or at least mm. believed to be falling into public domain. So, yeah. And this would be the 83-minute cut of that. Um, back when Cinema Day Bazaar was still a thing, I got a extended version of it or the the full cut of it through them under the Mansion of Doom title or whatever the original Spanish title, whatever that translates to. And that is just a, the best print I've seen of that film. Well, there have been some good good releases of it over the years, and the the version that we used when we did the when the, we, when we did the episode on it was the best that I could find. Still, still, I would just, it's one of those movies I'd love to see a nice cleaned up, you know, yeah. remastered print of because mm-hmm. I think the, I think the quality is there in the filmmaking and I think that it would, it would shine brightly on a Blu-ray. So, yeah, yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm not going to pretend like I didn't know, learn about this film from you guys covering it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> most of my, most of my Spanish horror knowledge comes from listening to the Nashi cast. There's no <laughs> reason to hide that at all. You know, particularly the, the yeah, more we hate to hear that. Like, we hate to know that we've influenced anyone, you know, and that, that we've guided anyone. I hate I personally I don't know about Troy. Yeah, I hate having my ego stroked. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I knew of Paul Nashi before mm. you guys, but I'd only seen like Horror Rises from the Tomb and a few other things. And then I had bought some other DVDs just because I'm like, hey, werewolf movie. It's at Best Buy. Let's get this. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I got a, I got a couple of those DVDs. Oh, and the, then the, B, the BCI just, discs? Yeah, the, the, I got a couple of the BCI discs. Yeah, I bought um, yeah. The Night of the Werewolf and uh, uh, Vengeance of the Zombies double pack from there just on a lark because I was like, Night of the Werewolf, that looks awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, Ven- Vengeance of the Zombies, this sounds good. I have to own it. It's 10 bucks for two DVDs. Precisely, yeah. And uh, I, I brought it home, I watched it, and I fell in love with it. And I'm like, Nashi, what, who is this Nashi guy? And I, I searched by Nashi, and hence your podcast came up, and boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just so glad that we, we were able to keep doing this long enough that it actually cycled around. And, and now, if you actually want to see some Paul Nashi films, you can go and buy the damn things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, being a fan of Nashi, when I first started listening to your podcast and shortly after – these double packs were sold out everywhere and this stuff was major out of print. Yeah. It got expensive fast <laughs> to try and collect these. Yeah. 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 What's funny is uh, I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to consciously over the past couple of months as I'm doing that horrible thing that all of us fucking physical media collectors end up doing, which is I'm, I'm buying newer and better versions of movies that I already own. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so of course what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to kind of go through as I, as I know that I have a better newer version and see if I can get rid of the older versions, because mm. if, if there's something that's not carried over, then I have a hard time with it. But if, if, if there's not anything like that, I can get rid of it and feel good and have some credit at a place where I can get other stuff. Yay. <laughs> so, I was going, so I was going through and there's, there's all, there's all this stuff. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking through different things and I'm trying to, trying to cull, trying to cull. 
and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to cull. But that Blu-ray, the one Blu-ray that BCI put out, both the films on that Blu-ray, both Nashi films on that Blu-ray, now have better Blu-ray releases mm -hmm. from Screen Factory. And I still couldn't make myself get rid of it. It's just sad. Oh, it's so sad. I, shortly before it got announced from Screen Factory that they were releasing those, I actually had caught where somebody had a whole store of these. There was like... I think let's say they had like twelve of them of yeah. the of that Blu-ray of uh, Night of the Werewolf and Vengeance of the Zombies, and it's the only one that BCI released. I remember ordering one and then seeing the order go through, and then being notified that it shipped, <laughs> and just being so ecstatic because I got a brand new one for like twenty six bucks or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like I was just super ecstatic, and I remember posting in. I think it was in the B movie cast group, and yeah. uh, Stephen uh, Sullivan had actually been looking for that as well. And I, I like kind of like tagged him in there. I'm like, dude, somebody has these. Pick it up now before they sell out or before they realize how rare this is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fast man. forward like six months after I do that. And <laughs> then the, the the other stuff starts getting announced that they're looking at doing that and they're going <laughs> to release them. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. But see, that's the, that's the thing. That's the, the real freaking horror show thing is that every now and then – it almost feels like I have to spend an inordinate amount of money on a foreign version of a fucking movie that I just have to own for somebody here in the States to do an even better version that will be cheaper. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've had that curse too, man. I can't tell you how many times I have bought an import version. A perfect example of that is, uh, I know you guys are fans because you've talked about it of plenty, but The Resurrected, the Chris oh, Serenis yes. Resurrected yes, yes. that Dan O'Bannon did. Yes. I, yeah. I, I imported a German Blu-ray of that, and no less than a year and a half later, Stout Factory releases a print of it that yeah. they, like a new version of it. Yeah, yeah. 4K remaster yeah. with a shit ton of extras, yeah. Still the best Lovecraft film, in my opinion. I think Lovecraft. it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a most faithful adaptation, you're right. It's it's, fan, it's fantastic, I love it. And I'm a fan of even, you know, like crappy HP Lovecraft adaptations. I mean, oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I really am. I mean, I'll, I'll sit down and, and, you know, I'll, I'll sit down and defend, you know, the, the, the Dunwich Horror and Die Monster Die until, until, <laughs> until people think I'm insane, which may be true, but, you know, The Resurrected is a, is a, is a cut or seven above. So, yeah. Okay. I just want to know the people that are ripping on Die Monster Die or what was the other one you said? Dunwich Horror. Oh, Dunwich Horror. Dunwich yeah. Horror. Yeah. Who's ripping on those movies? Because, we're going to have some words with them. Yeah, because those are good movies, man. I love those yeah, movies. Yeah. I love them, but, but you know, it's, it's like uh, there, was a, there was a period of time where um, uh, somebody, that I, somebody that I knew said there have only been two good H.P. Lovecraft adaptations, and uh, one of them is a big – the, the, the title is a lie, and he was talking about The Haunted Palace. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and I said, okay, yeah, that's a good one. And he says, the other is the resurrected. He says, all the rest of them are crap. And yeah. so I would argue with him endlessly <laughs> about that. It's kind of hard to argue that the Haunted Palace is not a really good representation of the Charles Dexter Ward story. It's really well done. It's a good film. It is. I, I love that movie. Yeah. But, the, but his complaint about that is the same complaint everybody has, which is it's sold as a Corman Poe film. It's not a yeah. Poe film at all. They just slapped that poem on at the beginning or at the beginning or the end of the film. I can't even yeah. remember. But I, I, lo I love that movie. But uh, his, his contention was like they, they, they can't even – that's the only story they can seem to get right on screen. Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, yeah. I don't totally yeah. agree with you. So let's so let's argue yeah. about the the weirdness of, of Dunwich Horror so that I can so that I can not hate you completely. And then we'll talk about the but we'll also talk about the shuttered room and, yeah. and I will I will rattle your cage a little bit more, you know, things like that. Yeah, and have you not seen Reanimator? That is the greatest horror film ever <laughs> made. Yes, he, awesome. I, I see. I agree. I think Reanimator and From Beyond are amazing. Oh, they're great films. But he wanted to discount those because there's they're so they're so fun and action packed, and they don't have the tone of a Lovecraft story. And I kind of <laughs> see where he's coming from. He's saying they took a he t- took two of Lovecraft's lesser stories and basically didn't really make Lovecraftian films out of them. They right, just kinda, right. He kind of used Lovecraftian to elements to make. Uh, kind of an Evil Dead Two kind of movie mm-hmm. for at least for Re- at least for Reanimator, and you know I can kind of see where he's coming from, but they still rock the house, and it, it, the, the HP Lovecraft elements are just inseparable from what make the movies work. So, <laughs> wow, what a tangent that was! <laughs> oh, God, you're right. But don't get me started on films that are, you know, that you can call Lovecraftian that aren't based on Lovecraft. That's a whole other subgenre too. Yeah, you can that's very true. Into, you know, top of the top of the list there for me is uh, In the Mouth of Madness. But I was going to say that one. Yeah, that say, is Fulci's, probably Fulci's, my favorite uh, Lovecraft beyond, inspired. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fulci's Beyond is another yeah. example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, obviously we're off yeah, track yes, again. We have, uh, yeah, what are we talking about? What is this? What's the show? What's this podcast? I, something Spanish, something I can't remember. Anyway, the Cinema Psyops is that the name of this? Uh, this <laughs> we should we should probably wrap this up and let the good folks go home. Court, tell everybody where they can find you in your regular podcasting domain. <laughs> Easiest place to find us is the landing slash launching page, which is legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. If you are on the Book of Faces, or you like to tweet, or even if you're an Instagram fanatic, I'm Court Psyops on Facebook, and there is a group for Cinema Psyops, which you can join and have a whole hell of a lot of fun talking about weird, twisted stuff like that's on our show. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> some of the some of the <laughs> some of the news stories that get posted on your Facebook page yeah, for Cinema Psyops. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> People be doing crazy stuff, Rod, and we yes. have to have people report on it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm at court underscore psyop, and then our Instagram feed is at cinema underscore psyops. Excellent. Thank you very much. I would just like to say that uh, thank you uh, once again, Court, for not only coming on the show, but inviting me back onto your show. Uh, it seems like uh, there's a theme when I visit uh, Cinema Psyops, which is uh, we're going to be covering Sam Peckinpah films. Yeah, you're kind of our go-to guy for Sam Peck and Paul because you help raise the tone that Matt and I are so desperately trying to sink. <laughs> uh, I'll, I will be glad to talk about any Sam Peck and Paul film, even even Convoy and the Osterman Weekend. Uh, and Troy, we got to get you back on, but I know your schedule is always so busy, buddy. Well, but I, hey, but listen, I'd love to do it. Uh, uh, you know, come up with any, you know, if you have to come up with any ideas, something you want me to talk about, then you know, I'll definitely figure it out. You know, so we'll do it. Well, We'll have to hit you up with a movie stack Jenga pick where you just get to look at my movie stack and go, yes, this one. Okay. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a good challenge. It'll work. Man, that's going to be good listening for me. That's cool. <laughs> Court, once again, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for, for committing to doing the uh, Coffin Joe films with me over on the Bloody Pit, too. Oh, yeah. Let me know when you're ready to do that, because I mentioned to talk the next one. <laughs> oh, we, we, we need to talk in the next uh, month or so about the second one, man. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm super stoked for that one. Uh, spoiler alert, it's kind of my favorite of the three. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. All right, Court. Thank you very much, man. Oh, it was an honor. Uh, 
like I've said before, NashyCast is one of my biggest influences as far as podcasting goes. So anytime you guys need me, I'm here. All right, man. Appreciate it. Bye. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept up. Little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening.
Well, now that we've gotten rid of court, man. <laughs> man, that guy can just overstay his welcome, I'll tell you. Okay, now truth to tell, uh, while we were recording with court, uh, both Troy and I completely forgot to do what we had planned to do in the first place, which was to talk specifically about the various uh, three favorite Spanish horror films lists that people posted on the NashiCast Facebook mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. So we've taken the uh, the opportunity now uh, on a completely other day. Mm-hmm. I know, it's mm-hmm. like time travel. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> on a completely separate day to uh, sit down really quickly and go through the lists that everybody posted on the NashiCast Facebook page talking about their three favorite Spanish horror films that do not involve Paul Nashie. Uh, because there's some really interesting things on this list, and so I mm-hmm. thought it would be fun to uh, to go through it and see what other people mm-hmm. uh, chose uh, when limited to just three. And uh, I want to point out, not only are we on a separate day, we're at a separate place, separate, different clothes, <laughs> and actually reversed from the way we were setting at, at the, when we recorded earlier. Oh, yeah, so, so if you at home can picture, you know, picture just to help you visualize. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, um, Showers have been had. I don't know what 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 else. What what is our what are we doing due diligence here? In Detroit? I guess what, so. I'm just you know. Let's give let's paint a picture. I, that's what I'm doing. I'm painting the the um, yeah. You can uh, see it in if we it is even it's in 70 millimeter. If you uh, just really want to visualize it. So. Okay. All right. Uh, well, to do this, I am going to use last names because there are a lot of different uh, there there are a lot of different people with similar or exactly the same first names. So uh, uh, if you didn't want your last name uh, read out, I apologize. But you're already listening to this, so you're probably not mm-hmm. worried about it anyway. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I put up the question about uh, three favorite Spanish horror films that are non nashy involved. And uh, Mike Titino popped in with uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, mm-hmm. which yes. you know, all of us named. Yeah. A Virgin Among the Living Dead, mm-hmm. an excellent cool. Franco cool. choice. Yes. And uh, he says it's a bit of a cheat, but Horror Express. And I told him, I don't think it's a no, cheat I at think all. We, yeah, we were very happy to put Horror Express in the list. Yeah, all of us. Uh, all of us did that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tim Turner. Said he cheated a little bit. Uh-huh. His first his first choice was the entire Blind Dead series. Ah, yeah, that's <laughs> a cheat. I mean, I understand the cheat, yeah. but it's cheat. Uh, the House That Screamed and the Awful Doctor Orloff. Man, good. so good choices good. Yes, there. Yes, definitely. Uh, David Ladd said uh, three off the top of my head would be the Awful Doctor Orloff, Who Can Kill a Child, and Tombs of the Blind Dead. Yeah, no of argument, course, though. of course, yeah. Uh, Chris Herzog. The, Might, the Mighty Zog. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "Lorna the Exorcist." Mm, good choice. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's 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 a that's a that's out of left field there. That right? really is. Yeah. But they're good one though. I mean, yeah, so we enjoyed is. that movie when we covered it. Horror Express and Tombs of the Blind Dead. Mm-hmm. A lot of love it's, it's for. It's a pattern here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy Dunleavy. Horror Express, Tombs of the Blind Dead, and the Awful Doctor Orloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there there are patterns. <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Canino, uh, accepting Franco, who would take all three spots otherwise. Uh, wow, big Franco fan there. Yeah, yeah. Franco file there. Uh, let's see. Uh, the House That Screamed. He, he's giving the Spanish title, so La Residencia, uh-huh. that would be yeah. the, the House That Screamed. Uh, La, uh, La Manzion de La Nibla, which is... Uh, oh, hell, which one is that? This is the Spanish title for Maniac Mansion. Or Murder Mansion. Okay, well, I heard Mansion in what you were saying yeah, there, but I was yeah, like, yeah. that could still be anything. So, yeah. So, okay, cool. And The Bell from Hell. Mm, yeah, that was I, the one yeah. that I mentioned as, yeah, as one of them. And of that's actually one we do need to put on our list yeah. to go ahead and get to, because yeah. it's an excellent movie, and I haven't mm. watched it in over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So, well worth checking out again. Uh, Richard Glenn Schmidt, ah, that's our fellow podcasting buddy from... Mm. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. From... 
Hello, it's the Doom Show. Uh, he chimes in with Vampires Lesbos. Vampiros Lesbos, I should pronounce it correctly. Satan's Blood, which is a really interesting Spanish Yes, see, I've heard of that and never seen it. Oh, that's one, it? No, that's one I'll have to Ooh. check out. I've not seen Satan's Blood. Uh, come for the title, stay for the nudity. <laughs> well, yeah. Put it that way. Uh, and Tombs of the Blind Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, another good list. Uh, Christopher Page, another podcasting buddy. He says, like everyone else, Tombs of the Blind Dead. Uh, having just watched it, La Loba... And hmm, I'd watch Vampire's Night Orgy on a whim, so sure, I'll use that one. Mm-hmm. Now, I will point out that uh, La Loba is actually a Mexican. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. But uh, right. I will allow it because yeah. it is a damned interesting werewolf movie, i gotta, I got to mm-hmm. admit. Dennis, uh, oh, Dennis Capit... Oh, I'm going to mispronounce your name, Dennis. I apologize for this. Uh, uh, Dennis Capisic, I hope. C-A-P-I-C-I-K. I know I'm mispronouncing your name, and for that I apologize, sir. Uh, I am I am uh, uh, pathetic. I'll just use that word. <laughs> I said so many to choose from, but I would have to say who could kill a child, the blood-spattered bride, and the corruption of Chris Miller. And then he puts I think I've heard you talk about that. I've never seen that. that. I've never. Yeah, I I've think. Never... Uh, and what he says here in parentheses is, "Could someone please release this?" And he's right. Uh, the corruption of Chris Miller is something that you can really only get your hands on via the bootleg slash uh, illegal download mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. And it's an excellent movie. And uh, I, I have watched it. I think it's fantastic. But at the same time, I do know there needs to be a really good looking version of it out there. Uh, I've watched it on the print that I think is most available out there, which is watchable. I mean, you can definitely see the movie that way, but it also needs uh, it needs a better release, and it just needs a release period, because The Corruption of Chris Miller is uh, kind of freaking amazing, and it's got... Uh, I truly, truly love the ending. Cool. Uh, Stohan, uh, and I'm not going to mangle your, your last name again, my German buddy. Sorry. Uh, let's see. Don't know that many yet. So far, uh, one Horror Express... Two, the residency of the house of mm-hmm, scream, of course, mm-hmm. and three, let sleeping corpses lie. Yeah, okay. So he's joining me on the let sleeping corpses, let sleeping corpses lie train. Anthony Munn, Vampires Night Orgy, Night of the Sorcerers, ooh, mm-hmm. and a Saga of the Draculas. Okay, there's a couple of mentions there. There we go. And there a couple that we haven't covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night, Night of the Sorcerers we have not covered yet. It's not or Saga uh, of the Draculas. Saga of the Draculas, either one. Uh, Saga of the Draculas is Klamovsky we need to eventually get to. Yeah. Um, Dan Fisher, our man Dan. Yeah, Dan. Chimes in with Ghost Galleon. That's, uh, <laughs> Dan, you're always Dan, the contrarian, aren't you? The contrarian you? man. Uh, Horror Express and Vampire's Night Orgy. Cool, cool, cool. Mark McLeod. Uh, he's our buddy Mark. Yeah. Chimes in with Cutthroat's Nine is Spanish, right? And I just <laughs> replied, yep. <laughs> um, Blaze, uh, ben, I'm going to mispronounce it. Bienvenue, maybe. Bienvenue? Yeah. Bienvenue. Bet that's close. Or not. Who knows? It's, 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 a, pro- it's a proper name, so who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, Who Can Kill a Child, and Cutthroat's Nine. Nice to see Cutthroat's Nine yeah. showing up. I kind of, I, I kind of didn't even think of it in those terms because I think of it as kind of a Western. I think first. more Western, but yeah, yeah. first. But it's, but a, I mean, it's real, it's hard, right? It's, and there's so many people from the Nashiverse in it too that it almost counts too, just for that reason, you know. So true, true, true. Uh, our mistress Elena chimes in with, uh, as it could be from any decade. She goes one Veronica, which is a film that I've still never seen. Yeah, me either. 
Uh, two, who can kill a child, and three, thesis. So, yeah. joining me on my love for Nisa, for for thesis, uh, and Veronica. I, I yeah, I've got to track Veronica down and finally mm. see it. Martin Luther Presley. I think that maybe that's an awesome. That now. is an incredible. Yes, I <laughs> Martin Luther Presley. Is that or you had awesomely cool parents to name you that? Yeah. <laughs> he says Romanasta. The Werewolf Hunt was pretty good, and I don't even know I what that is. I don't know. That's a, I'm not heard that's of that. a new one on me, man. i got to look that one up. Holy crap. Uh, John Chatham, Tombs of the Blind Dead, Who Can Kill a Child, and Candle for the Devil. Mm-hmm. Good one, choice. One good we'll choice. be doing soon. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Matthew Kowalski. He says, hmm, only three would have to say, in no particular order, Tombs of the Blind Dead, The House That Screamed, and The Blood Splattered Bride. Mm. Couple mentions with that blood spattered bride. Okay, Tim Walker says Tombs of the Blind Dead, Night of the Seagulls, The Lorelei's Grasp, all Diosorio. I know. Actually, a few movie, a new movie called Cold Skin is a huge favorite, and that's Spanish horror. Hmm. I don't know Cold Skin, Cold but Skin I have either. heard of it. Yeah, it is supposed to be quite good. It's a very recent film, actually. Okay. Says uh, that may not be what you're looking for, uh, though, because it's recent. It's in English. It's got a French director, and it's not officially out yet in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's supposed to come out in September. I loved it though, and it is Spanish horror. It's like they, you know, yeah, worse for me. Worse for me. Uh, Donna Nelly says eliminating Nash is a big crippling factor to my list since that's ninety percent of the choices. But fair game is fair, so let's see what I'm left with: Tombs of the Blind Dead, Game of Werewolves, okay, right, and a Dragonfly for each corpse. He says, I can live with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's it. That's that's our list. I went through them all. Boy, excellent list, folks. Okay, good, good, good. Yes. Man, I thought there were more down below. Mm-hmm. I was realizing, my God, this is going to take forever. <laughs> so, we, uh, so yeah, so we didn't necessarily do a, a graph or a, a, a mark for every time it's listed. I think you can all see what the number one film and <laughs> fan, fans of Spanish horror minds are, but uh, but a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of mentions for Horror Express, uh, some for Dr. Orloff, some for... Uh, a house that screamed, and uh, yeah. But it's it's always going to be the Knights Templar that the Knights Templar <laughs> they're going to take the cake, do. I think, in that mm-hmm. category. So yeah. not that much of a surprise. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise was just the guy who just basically threw the whole group in there. It's it's so apparently he loves them all equally, which you don't meet, you don't run into people every day that that would say that. But uh, I bet you money he doesn't love them all equally. He doesn't. He's, There's yeah, no he's, way <laughs> that can't be true. That's a physical impossibility. There's just no fucking way. But uh, thanks everyone who decided to chime in with their mm-hmm. three favorite non-Nashy Spanish horror films. Uh, I will try to post questions of that type again. Well, it was fun. And and I, I ended up, and, and you know, I, I ended up with a couple of things I'd never heard of that I'm going to seek out, you know, and and, and, and and you were reminded of some stuff you haven't seen either. Yep, yeah. And Corruption of Chris Miller is, is uh, I think it's 1974, and, it's just, and it is really one of those movies that if you've not heard of it before and you have access to the dastardly ways in which films can be obtained online, mm-hmm. guess what? Point yon browser in that direction and see what you can come up with. Worth your time. And I don't really feel any guilt saying it because mm-hmm. it's not like anybody's doing anything. It's with exactly. It. So Maybe well. I should maybe I should find it on YouTube and post up a link. Maybe <laughs> I, I bet you it's on YouTube. I bet you mine. It could be. Hope it's not too dark. But folks, once again, thank you very much. You can join us over on the NashiCast Facebook page anytime you wish we'll be glad to have you join the discussion also if you want to reach us there is an email address it is nashicast at gmail.com be glad to hear from you that away as well um so i guess what we'll do now is uh, make sure everybody knows that the next time you hear from the nashicast we're going to be doing another beyond nashi episode and we will be covering finally 
Candle for the Devil. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure everybody knew that so that if you want to play along at home, you Mm -hmm. can. Uh, I know there's a domestic Blu-ray of it out there. I'm not really sure what the uh, the streaming services might offer mm-hmm. in the way of a of a chance to check the film out. But if you seek out Candle for the Devil, uh, that is that'll be what we're covering next time. You might look for it under the alternate title of It Happened at Nightmare Inn. It's a 1973 film and uh, quite worth your time. A very interesting movie, and uh, I think uh, it's going to cause us to discuss a number of things involving the. Uh, problems that you get into when you open up a society that's been locked up tight for a very long (laughs) time so uh, a little bit of eroticism a little bit of uh, uh, societal uh, confusion and anger and misdirected sexual grief and uh, I think you'll be uh, intrigued so Candle for the Devil next time out that's another Eugenio Martin oh I hadn't thought about that that's another Eugenio Mm, Martin film so uh, we return to the land of well, the creator of uh, Horror, Horror Express. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about that, but yeah. So, folks, thank you very much again, and uh, we will talk to you. Uh, I, I we, we, we can't promise exactly when <laughs> the next episode will be out. It's yeah. <laughs> scheduling. Scheduling is a problematic thing. Keep and watching I, the skies, yeah. Or your RSS mm-hmm. feed, one way mm-hmm. or the other. So, thank you once again for listening. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye now. Stitches laying by the side of the road. I was a long time gone, slipping off my britches, feeling like it's hard to go home. Yeah, feeling like it's hard to go home. And in this dream, built it comes a Sherman, glowered at the foot of my bed. He was long and lean, spoke a perfect German, and I recorded all that he said. Yeah, I recorded all that he said, and he said, We all die young. We all die young. We all die young. We all die young.
a grubby balloon And I spoke up, said sorry if I've offended His voice came from the back of the room I was screaming from the back of the room